Welcome to EU Code Week podcasts. We bring coding, computational thinking, robotics, and innovation closer to you, your community, and your school. Hello, everyone. We are Ariana Blažić from Croatia and Eugenia Hazarev from Spain. We're your hosts today, but before we get started, here's a quick introduction from our part just to get to know us a little bit. I'm a teacher trainer. And I'm an education expert. And of course, we are both part of the EU Code Week team, and we are passionate about digital technologies, teaching and education. With this series of podcasts, we'd like to contribute to changing education in Europe and adapting it to the challenges of our time. Today we're going to talk about coding and arts and you may now, listeners, ask yourselves, so coding, arts, how is this something combinable? Very often we think art is something creative, very expressive, that comes a bit out of, you know, randomness so on. And while coding, we tend to see that something very precise and exact and something very, that follows a narrow path. So listeners, how we can combine coding and arts and how can we actually bring this to our students? So this is something that we want to talk today in this episode we want to explore a little bit more what is creative coding and what is uh, how we can produce art with code and actually how to as i said before take it to our classroom so that's why we want to uh, speak to arthur coelho from portugal arthur teaches information and communication technologies using mostly mobile devices at a school near lisbon arthur also holds uh, robotics clubs in which kids are able to learn about all types of technology including 3d printing which already i think has a lot to do with arts but we will talk about that soon. Arthur, you are very welcome. How are you? Hello, good morning. Thanks for the opportunity and for the challenge to speak about arts and coding. Eugenia, in your amazing introduction, you were mentioning that art is very creative and coding doesn't seem so. I really don't feel that. I feel that coding and technology can be as creative uh, as art. In fact, it already is, in some in some aspects, a, a very cool medium to create art. The contemporary art scene has a lot of coding and robotics and how can I say, reflection about AI, reflection about the digital transformation in our societies. But it lacks a connection between the academic art world and what we do at school. Because at school, we, are, we also teach arts. We also teach children and teenagers to create, to be creative. If we are only teaching them about the traditional media, which I don't believe that should be abandoned, quite the opposite. I mean, we are creating a gap. I mean, there's this high heart world full of amazing concepts, sometimes so dense that most people can't really understand what they are seeing when they are interacting with an art piece. I mean, everybody knows the story. Someone goes to a museum, looks at the painting by Picasso or Pollock and says, I could do that. I mean, it's just splashing paint around. 
But actually, there's a deeper meaning that sometimes is very hard to get to. And education has a role to play in that. It's good that you point out that coding is a lot about creativity. And I think what we do about in Code Week as well is try to bring this creative side of coding a little bit more forward and to try to show people that really there's a lot of creativity to be found in coding. But let's start them from the basics. So how can we combine coding and art? Give us some examples, some ideas, some food for thoughts. Okay, so basically, I think if we are very serious about putting EA in STEAM, I mean, we must find ways to integrate technology and arts beyond its superficial level. And I think that if we just look at using digital media to recreate what we already do, we are not reaching that deeper level. It's also a way to to challenge arts teachers to, to come to us to learn about coding, to learn about robotics, to learn about what technology can do for them. Because sometimes I feel that art teachers are a bit uh, wary, are a bit wary of using digital technology because they don't see the point. I mean, they say, okay, I mean, it's cool. I can use Photoshop to create digital paintings, but with that, we lose the the, the idea of the traditional value. So why should I use that in in my classroom? And, don't, and then there are those crazy guys in coding telling me that this is creative. I'm, I don't think so. So if we create bridges between these areas, between teachers, we can also provide a deeper knowledge, deeper learning to our students. There are more depths in the arts field than just creating images. There are questions of aesthetics, about meaning, feeling, questioning the world, ourselves, and what can art practices teach us about us and about our relationship to the world and about what the digital technology is creating to this world. So basically, I think coding can be a very great way to close the gap between STEM and the arts, to use artistic expression in a deeper way than just a decoration. And of course, for those kids that are more arts inclined, it's a great way for them to understand that they can also use coding as a medium to express themselves. And I believe we always have to find ways to express ourselves. And I don't really think that technology should not be a way to express yourself. Why not? We're in a time when technology is evolving very rapidly and as well technology itself and not just art is making us question who we are and what we're doing in this world and, and what's the extent that we can reach and so on. So it's very interesting to combine it with art that traditionally in some way has had as well this purpose or at least this drive to make us question. So I think it's very interesting to indeed to combine both and just to, to get a deeper meaning into these answers. Arthur, can you please name some projects that combine coding with arts? Okay, so one of the cool things about using coding as art is that actually it, it parallels the evolution of computing. I mean, it's quite unbelievable to find this. Uh, it's not very well known because there's, again, there's a gap between computer art practices and other types of art practices. Critically, in terms of art criticism, computer arts are generally viewed as minor because there's that whole click and generate an artwork stigma. Of course, anyone that tried to create an image in digital painting or tries to create a 3D model knows that creating art using computers is anything but touching a button or clicking a menu and then it generates something. It's actually very work intensive. Since about the 1950s, there are some engineers and some artists that started to look at exactly the precision, the logic and the randomness to find ways to create compelling visual aesthetics. Since about the 50s, there has been a, a long but discrete evolution of using pure coding as an art medium. There is actually a, a loose group of artists still active today, which call themselves the algorithms as in algorithm creators that's specialized in using algorithms to generate art. It's the very beginning, the birthplace of generative art, of computer art, of digital art in itself. 
we always find a lot of very cool projects with coding. Uh, robots that generate images or just algorithmical paintings in that account. And of course, a couple of artists that today are the very best amongst those that use coding and robotics in art. Uh, there's the South Korean So Gwen Chung that paints with robots. He programs those big industrial robots to create graceful paintings and he paints with them. And of course, the Turkish guy, Refi Kanadol, that's I mean, it's, it's amazing what he can do about uh, immersive environments that make us dive deep into AI. And since I'm Portuguese, I also have to talk about two Portuguese artists, uh, André Sier, a great guy in using generative art. What he creates is extremely weird for non-artists because sometimes it looks completely random, but he's working with generative algorithms. And of course, one of our pioneers uh, on 3D modeling in Portugal a guy named Miguel Suarez that also works with generative art. Thanks a lot. It's really impressive how many projects there are and how different they are. Let's take coding and art to school now. I believe the, the easiest way to do it is by using the monument, the monolith, if I speak in 2001 film terms, in the coding world, which is Scratch. Actually, sadly, in the latest version of Scratch, 3.0, I believe, they've deprecated a very cool tool that was always available in Scratch since its very inception, which is the pen tool. I mean, uh, when I started learning Scratch, the first time I actually decided that I have to learn Scratch, because if I don't do it, I'm not teaching my students well. One of the first things that, that I've learned about was how to create a square or to draw a square in Scratch. If I create, if I can create a square in Scratch, I can also start learning how to use iterations, how to use some randomness to go from that square to a pattern. And so I brought it to my class. It begins with a square, and then then we add some more steps, some repetitions, and lo and behold, you have an art piece developing. You are actually seeing being drawn in real time in your computer screen, and the kids are like. Outstanding. Scratch, start with the pen tool in Scratch 3.0. You have to activate as an extension. It still exists, but it's not as visible as it could be. And use mathematics, use cycles, use some randomness. Randomness actually is the big secret of computer art. Scratch, of course, is the, the great uh, medium to challenge your students to create some pretty cool visual pieces using the pen tool. But of course, there are also other ways to do it. Of course, robots, uh, that's another very cool way to integrate coding and arts. Because, I mean, uh, if a robot goes, goes on the floor, it may leave a pet. Yeah? And you can attach a pen to a robot and it will leave a pet. You can use off-the-shelf robots. You can you, you can build your own robots. As I've said earlier, in Instructables and Thingiverse, you have a lot of projects that you can just assemble, adapt Arduino-based or Raspberry Pi-based robots to be drawbots or paintbots. And sometimes these things can be quite unexpected. When I created a project using this robot, which is called Amprino, it's an open-source robot developed in Portugal, to create drawings, uh, the idea was to use the ultrasound sensors to generate a random path. And for that, I needed an enclosure. 
thing is, I did not have an enclosure. So what did my students do? They started dancing in front of the robots. By dancing, by moving, by doing that all physical activity, they were, in essence, controlling the randomness of the robot because the robot detected an obstacle and went moved back. And, of course, since it had a pen attached to it, it started to create lines. And if you do that for a long time, you start to have a drawing or a painting. A very abstract, of course, drawing of painting. Another way to use this, to use coding robotics as, as art, also photography is to create long exposure photographs. For example, if you attach LEDs to a robot, and LEDs and robots are actually second nature, it starts to blink, it starts to produce light. And if you start taking photographs of a moving robot in a dark room, you start having visual patterns in your photographs. With that idea, Kids learn about robotics, about coding, and about photography. Before, I wanted to ask a question, if I can. So before, at the beginning of the podcast, you mentioned that some art teachers may be a bit reticent to deal with, to teach coding, to deal with robotics. So what would you tell them to convince them? What would be your message? If uh, some of our listeners here are art teachers, what would you tell them to convince them that there is value in integrating coding and robotics into the art classes? We are now living in a digital world. AI robotics are not the future. They are the present. You may need to, to challenge your students to, to take on, to appropriate digital media. Coding, robotics, and the traditional arts are not mutually exclusive. You can combine them, and one does not mean that the other has to be shuffled around. And then there's, of course, that little technology called perspective, which is paramount in the art world. It is basically an algorithm to create visual pieces. No, I think there's a connection, and what you just said reminds me a lot of Montreal and these very exact lines and the way he tried to decompose art and to be, bring it to a minimum, and as well, that's how abstract uh, art was created right in Russia back then. You know, they wanted to make it something very achievable, very near the people, so they tried to bury it for the people and to leave only the bones of what we think is art, so to say. Uh, yeah, that's very interesting. It's as well interesting to hear that how you see these two big, big elements of creating visual art as algorithms, such as perspective and the image composition. So it's a very interesting perspective on that. We are moving now towards a more practical part and we'll be talking about some activities. Arthur, before you already mentioned some ways in which we can bring art into our coding classes and code into our art classes, I want to talk a little bit more about concrete and about the projects that you're doing. So, for example, I know that your robotics uh, club or your robotics team was part of an, um, the Maker Fair in the north of Spain, right, back in November. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? What was your project about? What did your team develop? Can you tell us a little bit more and give some inspiration? The Maker Fair in Spain, Maker Fair Galicia, which will happen again this year, it's a very cool place to be. I cannot go there to Santiago de Compostela in person. I have, we have to do it to do it online. But what we did at the Maker Fair was a showcase of what my robotics club does, which can be very anarchic because a lot of my kids love to learn 3D modeling. And they do it by themselves. They they model, they operate the printer, they create their own projects, mostly very creative. Creative in the sense that what they want to do. That's actually one of the great lessons of holding a robotics club is that kids need this type of learning. In a robotics club, I don't believe we should direct them, we should let them 
explore. I'm always amazed every time my kids are asked to speak about what they do in the robotics lab. I'm always fearful thinking I'm going to be so burned because this is not formal. They will see that these kids actually have not had any formal training in coding or robotics or 3D during the coding club sessions. My students always amaze me because they actually seem to know far more than I've taught them, which is great. It means that they have the space and the opportunity and the motive to go beyond. So in Mecafe Galicia, that's what basically what we did. We showed some 3D projects, some what we have been doing in our robotics lab, what programming robots, etc. To my great surprise, we were recognized as an innovative project. I don't think so, because there are lots of, of robotic clubs that are very innovative. This year, we will be again at Mecafe Galicia, and actually we will showcase a, a very cool project with uh, in remote teaching with 3D. Basically, I had very young students, about 10 years old. I should be challenging to create algorithms and small games and stories using visual coding. But this year, I have an extra problem due to the pandemic. The solution to those problems are, I believe, learning paths to something new. This year, I can't use a computer laboratory as classroom. So I have to bring ICT to the classroom where my students are which of course does not have computers, has one computer for the teacher to present, etc. So how do I teach ICT in a classroom without computers? A smartphone or a tablet? Okay, so a challenge, I've talked about this with, the, with my school boards, we've decided to, to implement a bring around device policy and also to invest, uh, invest heavily in some devices for our school so that kids that add older phones or were not able to bring their phones or if their parents would not authorize, I think it's it's legitimate, we add uh, an answer to them. So, of course, that brought me a lot of opportunities because I had to go deep into the Android world and see what can we adapt uh, to the ICT curricula, which apps can we use. And Scratch is a problem because Scratch is an amazing app in a computer, but does not translate well to mobile devices. I mean, if you try to use Scratch mobile in a screen this size, you have to be constantly scrolling. You can't actually use it in a good way. On a tablet, it's better. But some things, for example, on a tablet, you touch so that things go forward or backwards. On a computer, you use the keyboards. Scratch is too much keyboard dependent. So I've started to look into alternatives. I found a very cool Austrian project, Pocket Code, that translates very, very nicely into mobile devices. So basically, it's like Scratch, but for a mobile device. At school, I can assure that all my students have access to a device, is their device or a device from school. At home, I was not so sure because I know that some did not have compatible phones or only had computers. My problem was I had to teach remotely those kids a bit more about coding, but I wasn't sure that everyone had the same tool. So I decided to do something different. I decided to give them a spark. I taught them a 15-minute class about 3D modeling on mobile devices, of course, which using an app that can be used on a computer or on a mobile device, so I can teach the same method of modeling to everyone independent of the platform they are using. That's the important part. And they went with it like crazy. And at the end of, of our latest lockdown, which lasted about two, two and a half months, I had about 200 models to 3D print. Students were asked to freely, without uh, a specific team, 3D design and then print what they've done at home. Excellent. Uh, I think you are a great problem solver, Arthur. 
and also I think that uh, your students uh, are very innovative because you are such an inspiration to them. You have developed an AI learning bit for uh, the EU Code Week website. I also wanted to ask you if you use AI tools to create art with your students. So I had a, a very cool problem, which, which was I had about two months uh, of virtual classes to go. I teach uh, a class bi-weekly, so there are not that many classes. I had already taught most of the, of the essential curriculum, so what I'm going to teach those kids? Am I going to grab their attention and teach them and, and challenge them to learn something meaningful at a distance? So I looked into AI, started looking into the deep dream, into the deep dream algorithms and ways to generate art with AI, and the basis of what became the learning bit was actually a virtual class in which I've uh, spooked a bunch of 10-year-olds with deep dreams and, uh, and, and gang breathers and other ways to generate AI nerds. So today, I've incorporated some of those tools. Some tools, I believe, are very cool for us adults, for, for children. Sometimes they spook them. I mean, there's a tool which I use that's called GAN, GAN Breather that generates uh, new images based on previous input and it creates images so weird. I feel that my students, which are very young, fear that. Like we say, it's too much for them. No problem. I mean, we have stages. That's, that's what education is all about. We can't just dump the heavy stuff at the, at the early stages. I mean, if we do that, we traumatize them, right? So one of the cool experiences I've had in my classroom, actually last week, was to have a, an 11-year-old student of mine, a girl, telling me she chose as a project to create a set of photos using the NVIDIA Gauguin tool, which is a very cool tool, free on the internet, in which you can use uh, an AI trained on photographic images to generate your own photographs of landscapes. And she told me something that uh, it was the end of the class. She was smiling, handing me her tablet. And I'm looking, oh, it looks like you are fascinated by this. And she told me, yes, it's fascinating. It's like I can paint and then generate a photo. I mean, it's amazing. And you know what, teacher? And I was like, what? During the lockdown, when you had shown this to me, to my class, my sister, my young sister was my side. And I was like creating peace with the AI algorithm. And I created one and I decided that I've had enough and I started to put my tablet away. But my sister did not let me put the tablet away. She, would, she kept telling me, do another, do another, do another. That's the kind of spark that I like to, to see in my students, the, the need to do another, because it means that their imagination uh, has been activated, that they are intrigued by the possibilities. And they're just playing around. I mean, learning is a lot of playing around with stuff. I want to remind our listeners that Arthur here has developed one of the Code Week Learning Bits introduction to artificial intelligence in the classroom. So he has developed one of the lesson plans of this learning bit. So I invite our listeners to check it out, to introduce art and coding to your students as well. The, I think one cool thing about this lesson plan, Arthur, is that you introduce three different tools in a scale way. So you can start with something a bit easier, more simple or less spooky, as you were saying now, and then go little by little a bit deeper into it. So I totally invite our listeners to go to codeweek.eu and check our learning bits. So to sum up, we have seen that uh, there doesn't have to be a difference between a creator, a designer, an artist, 
and the developer. Because you can do both. You can express your creativity by creating pieces of art through coding. And as you mentioned, Arthur, coding is a bridge between art and STEM and all the other subjects. Yes, definitely. It's indeed a learning process, yes. But I think that's an interesting food for thought for our listeners. What's the, the next step? Yeah, so a message to our listeners would be computer is your paintbrush. Use it. And so is your mobile phone. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. So, yes, yeah. of course. We have already reached the end for today. I guess that was a lot of interesting information for you. But we hope that you had some fun and also learned a lot of new and inspiring things. In case you now want to get started with coding, go check codeweek.eu. There you can find some great tutorials on how to get started. Thanks a lot, Arthur, for joining us today and for chatting with us. <laughs> so thank you, listeners, for tuning in today and for listening to our uh, podcast series. See you next time for a new episode of our Code Week podcast when we take a deep dive into the exciting world of programming. Goodbye.